This message comes from Capital One. Your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services backed by the strength of a top 10 commercial bank. Visit CapitalOne.com slash commercial. Member FDIC. When you imagine a child with divorced parents, perhaps you see them splitting time between two homes every week. Or maybe they're living full-time with one parent while seeing the other one on weekends and holidays. There are many ways to co-parent when parents are no longer together. One of those ways is bird nesting. Now, it has nothing to do with actual birds. It's an arrangement where children remain in their family home while the parents cycle in and out of the house. Parents who nest hope this approach will offer stability to their kids during a time of major change. Children of divorce have a greater risk of developing mental health disorders like anxiety and depression. That's according to the University of Illinois at Chicago's Psychiatric College of Medicine. In 2021, the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, along with three other organizations, declared a national emergency in adolescent mental health. So how much can co-parenting arrangements like nesting offset the negative effects of divorce on kids? What do you need to know before you try nesting? And is it a long-term solution, especially for exes trying to move on? We dig into those questions and get into a whole lot more after the break. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com NPR. Let's get into it. Joining us for this conversation from Fort Wayne, Indiana, is Beth Barrett. She's the author of the book, Nesting After Divorce, Co-Parenting in the Family Home. She's nested with her ex-husband and their kids for nine years. Beth, it's great to have you. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. Also with us from San Francisco is Anne Goldbuchot. She's a licensed clinical psychologist specializing in families, parenting, and divorce. She's also the author of The Parent's Guide to Bird Nesting, a child-centered solution to co-parenting during separation and divorce. Anne, welcome. Thank you for having me. And also with us is Sherry Sharma. She's a family and matrimonial lawyer at MSSG Law in New York. Sherry, it's great to have you. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. And we gave a brief definition of bird nesting earlier, but explain a little bit more about how it works. Well, there are different ways to set up a bird nesting arrangement, but it the home becomes the nest where the children stay. And the parents are like birds. They swoop in and out. They don't shuffle in and out. <laughs> they swoop in and out. And the children learn that there's always a parent on duty. Um, there are many ways for parents to set up an arrangement like this and many living arrangements for parents to set up for themselves when they're off duty, uh, depending on their finances and depending on how well they communicate with each other and how much contact they want with each other. Beth, you've been nesting with your ex-husband and kids for nine years. What does that look like in your family? Well, currently, um, my ex has remarried. And so when he's not parenting, he lives with his spouse at her house. Um, Initially, though, we shared 
an apartment. And I use the word shared um, loosely because we were never there at the same time. We used it as a base that we moved in and out of. It was close to the family home. And um, we had a schedule of five days on, five days off parenting time with the kids. What conversations did you have with your ex while trying to figure out the best way to co-parent after divorce? (laughs) Well, a lot, (laughs) for sure. (laughs) It was a lot to figure out. And um, as as you mentioned, we've been doing this for nine years. So in 2014, sadly, Anne's book was not out yet, and there was very little information about how to nest. Um, I saw it mentioned in a book about divorce and approached him with the idea because it was just a light bulb moment to me that the kids could stay in our home. That had been really you know, worrisome to me that they were going to have their lives um, uprooted because of our choice. And fortunately, my ex, Bill, was um, very supportive of the idea. And so, you know, we started out with that that was our end goal and then kind of had to back up from there. Like, what do we need to figure out first? Where are we going to live? And then, of course, it gets more complicated with finances and, you know, bringing our divorce attorneys on board. But um, it took a lot of communication, that is for sure, yeah. to well, get here. Sherry, you've had several clients in the last year who've nested. In your experience, what leads parents to this kind of arrangement? I think what really motivates parents is a concern about what's going to be best for their children and wanting to minimize any disruption that a divorce will naturally cause. And particularly with younger children, I've found this to be a concern. So in the cases you know that, that I have seen, um, that's really what they're doing. They're just trying to say, hey, let's, let's not make them feel th- the burden of our decision. Mm-hmm. And what kinds of things should people weigh while deciding whether nesting is right for their family or not? There's a a few things. One is, do they understand the benefits of nesting both for the children and the parents? And they need to be willing to make pretty clear, documented, detailed agreements um, about things like how the house will be handled, about parenting time, about whether new relationships can be um, brought into the home. Um, they can also make agreements about how nesting will end rather so that there's no big surprises when somebody decides they've had enough. But I want to say to the person who emailed in that um, I understand that loneliness. That must have been difficult. The one, the thing about nesting is it is a, a little bit of a softer startup for children, even if it's a short time. That to go immediately to two homes is a pretty abrupt change for kids. So I never think of nesting as a failure, even if it only lasts a month or, or a few months. When I nested with my ex, which was in the early 90s, we nested for 15 months. And of course, we didn't know what we were doing. And we learned along the way. And that's what piqued my interest in nesting. But they, they also need to be able to communicate clearly with each other. And they need to be willing to put their own emotions ahead of their children. Like, sorry, their children's well-being ahead of their own emotions. They need to prioritize what their kids need. Um, and there are parents during the time of divorce that are so overwhelmed by emotions that that just is impossible, that they're not able to. Um, but if parents really want to have a secure attachment with both children... Nesting can help with that. You, you recommend because it gives the children. Well, you recommend a formal contract to help with some of this. What what needs to be a part of that contract? 
the the contract would include everything from how finances will be handed, how the house and children's expenses will be handled, um, the schedule, dating and new relationships, how holidays will be used. It depends also a little bit on the nesting arrangement. I, during COVID, I worked with a lot of families who are nesting within the same home. So it might have included um, agreements about access to the kitchen to the off-duty parent, um, visits with the children for the off-duty parent. Basically, the parents need to sit down and work through as many of these possibilities as they can, and there are templates in the book Mm -hmm. to help people do that. Beth, how formalized was your arrangement or is your arrangement with your ex? Is there a contract? um, There was something set up by the attorney that spoke specifically to the amount of time in the house, said that the other parent was not allowed to enter the house without prior approval if it wasn't you know, our parenting time. Um, And then, of course, the finances were kind of uh, spelled out, but that was mostly based on our incomes and the guidelines from the state anyway. um, And then we drafted an agreement between the two of us, shared it with the attorneys, but um, it wasn't, you know, exactly legally binding. But it included things like Anne mentioned that we wouldn't introduce dating partners to the kids. We wouldn't bring another adult into the family home if we wanted to introduce the kids, we had to clear it with the other person first. And then, of course, got into things like we expect all the kids' laundry to be done. You know, I didn't want to come in at 7 in the morning and there's no food in the refrigerator to give the kids. And so we got into some stuff like that. Um, but it has evolved so much over that time. Again, going back to the communication as our kids got older, as our circumstances changed, um, there still is the legal document about finances, but everything else we just have come up really with on our own what works for us. We're going to head to a quick break here. We'll be back with our discussion on bird nesting in just a moment. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore. Jump into a new perspective on performance apparel. Viore makes products that stand the test of time and hope to inspire others to live vibrant, healthy lives, empowering your best life in clothing that can be worn for just about any activity from running to yoga. Visit viore.com NPR to receive 20% off your first purchase and enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75. Discover the versatility of Viore clothing. This is my voice. I can tell you a lot about me. And I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on Black experiences. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get back to the discussion. Beth, what challenges have you faced when nesting? Well, certainly early on after the divorce, there are emotional challenges because you are trying to emotionally separate from each other. There's a lot of, um, you know, high emotions around divorce, uh, sadness, anger, um, fear. And so it was a challenge to you know, keep that separate from our parenting time. But I think um, that applies to anyone who's getting divorced. And so we tried very hard to only have, you know, discussions about the divorce when we weren't around the kids. Um, we didn't do it in the family home. We'd go to a coffee shop, something like that. So that was, you know, the biggest emotional challenge. And then um, the logistical challenges of just kind of hammering out 
who's going to do what and to what level of um, satisfaction to the other parent. And in our case, we had um, had fairly traditional roles since our third child was born that I handled sort of the traditional mom roles and was the primary caregiver. Bill was working a full-time, you know, hectic job, but he really um, stepped up and learned to do a lot of stuff that he hadn't learned to do before. And I learned how to um, do some things that he'd always kind of defaulted to him having to do. And so um, I think it, for both of us, made us uh, better involved in our children's lives and uh, more appreciative of what the other person was putting into um, the parenting aspect of our family. Sherry, from a legal perspective, what are the pitfalls you advise your clients uh, to avoid when they're trying to create a legal agreement or maybe even a less formalized agreement about what a bird nesting arrangement can look like? I think one of the things that's really important is for everyone to sort of identify their goals at the beginning of what they're trying to accomplish. And in my experience and, and the cases that I've had where nesting has been implemented, the parties had different ideas of when it should end. And so, you know, I recently had um, a same-sex couple and, you know, one one parent really wanted it to sort of continue until the divorce was finalized, while the other was much more ready to move on and believed that it needed to be done uh, by the end of the school year. So I think, and that ended up creating a lot of tension, actually, while they were living together um, and became a term that was negotiated. So I really think that sort of at the outset, you need to really be on the same page about the length of time. And then also, you know, I think both Beth and Ann, Ann mentioned this in terms of how the logistics are going to work, privacy um, concerns that people have, those really need to be um, laid out. And I'm I'm a believer, you know, that to the extent that parents can communicate and work on that with each other in the way that Beth sort of described she and her ex-husband did and, and do the nitty gritty details themselves, that makes more sense than paying lawyers to kind of have to do that. But the lawyers should implement the big picture, like what's the schedule going to look like? How long is it going to last? And maybe the the, you know, the, the financial piece. We got this email from Erica who says, I'm now 51 years old and quite intrigued by the current popularity of nesting. My parents were divorced when I was eight, and we did this for six years from 1980 to 1986. My younger brother and I lived in our house full time while one of our parents moved in and out every six months. My opinion is that it works well if both parents are on the same page parenting wise. Otherwise, living with one parent can feel like a prison while living with the other like a freedom. And it's difficult to have a legal agreement around certain aspects of parenting. So how does that have to be navigated in a nesting situation? Well, the agreement has to be an agreement that both parties actually will agree to and keep. In other words, keeping agreements is the essential point. If people make agreements and don't keep them, then the trust is further undermined and nesting isn't going to succeed. So when nesting falls apart, it's usually because an agreement isn't kept, hasn't been kept, or maybe it hasn't even been discussed. Um, In the Parent's Guide to Bird Nesting, I write about a couple where the wife came home one day and found a used condom in the bedroom because they hadn't talked about dating and whether a new partner might be brought into the home. Um, Agreements, for example, about who will take care of the children if the on-duty parent isn't available, 
um, agreements about the use of drugs and alcohol while on duty. That's going to be something that they need to talk about and keep because when there's only one available parent, that parent needs to be sober. Um, secrets. For example, one parent keeping a secret with the children and not letting the other parent know. And I worked with someone who was doing drugs, uh, a child who was doing drugs with his father, um, and mom found out through the school. Um, so these are all issues that could be talked about in advance, keeping secrets, use of, you know, uh, drugs and alcohol and so on. But um, if the nesting does hit a pothole, in my experience, most of the time people could go and work with somebody like a therapist or a mediator to help them work through that and refocus on the benefits of the nesting for their children and for them. Uh, Beth, there's also just different parenting styles. And so in your situation over nine years, it's, I would imagine, difficult to have a legal document that mandates how you parent. So how have you navigated those differences? Sure. We, um, again, back to the communication. Um, and there certainly were things. And, you know, I think any divorced parents are going to have to deal with that, whether the kids are going between two houses or staying in one house. And there were certainly things that, you know, we had to talk about expectations for parenting, um, particularly when our children were younger, you know, things about screen time and um, expectations about homework and things like that. But we also found that it was fine with the kids that there were some things that were different when mom was there and some things that were different when dad was there. Um, he had, you know, more of a specific schedule about when they needed to have homework done because of his own work schedule. I was more, you know, apt to focus on did they get some rest after school and have a snack and making dinner? And, um, and it was okay. They were old enough to understand that, you know, mom's here and she likes these things done. Dad's likes these things done. But um, I think that's probably, though, at the root of nesting is that there was a general trust of the other parent that I knew he was a good dad. And he might do things differently, but they were safe and taken care of. And, and that's what mattered. I want to make sure we emphasize, for instance, for you, Beth, you didn't only nest to ease the transition of divorce. You also took your kids to therapy. Unfortunately, that's not something that's available to to everyone. But what do families need to think about beyond nesting and, and supporting kids through divorce? Yeah, I think that um, what was great for us and what the therapist confirmed was that the divorce itself was not a big stress in my kids' lives. They had you know, kids have enough stress, as you mentioned the studies earlier, that there's so much anxiety and um, online presence stress in their lives that um, that I think if you can just think of whatever you can do to mitigate your choices <laughs> impacting their stress level. And for us, um, I guess because of having three kids and feeling very strongly about um, consistent home life and schedule that that was a real comfort to them to not have to leave their dog or keep track of their stuff between two places. And, um, you know, perhaps if kids are older or is just one child, you might take a different approach as long as that thought is in mind of, am I not, am I not the cause of the stress in their lives? Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to be the primary cause of stressing my kids out. Sherry, who gets custody after a divorce, whether it's full custody or joint custody, legally impacts who's responsible for a child when? How does custody complicate arrangements like nesting? So 
The way custody works is there's actually two types of custody. There's when people talk about, you know, joint custody or sole custody, what they're referring to um, generally is legal custody. And that means who makes the major decisions, the big decisions for the children? Where do they go to school? Um, or do they need therapy? Are there any religious issues? Then there's physical custody. Where do they actually reside? Which you know some people refer to as visitation. That can you know generally the the, the physical piece is what I think most people are concerned about having um, the impact on the child day to day. I think and certainly in most of my cases, the vast majority, the major decisions can be made jointly by the parents. But I think what I have noticed and what I think is certainly very important is that parents um, need to be a little bit flexible in terms of the routine decision-making, the the non-major decisions, so that whether they're nesting or uh, living in separate homes in the middle of a divorce, to a certain extent, the reality is is you're not going to be able to control how the other parent parents on those little issues, you know, what their screen time is, what their bedtime is. I had a client who was really unhappy that there was, you know, too much pizza and junk food always being given. And I think if you've got to sort of take a step back and look at the big picture and say, okay, we're doing this for stability, but I can't, I can't micromanage um, what the other parent is doing, but we can all have input into the big decisions. We'll be back with more in just a moment. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Now more than ever, your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, all tailored to your short and long-term goals. Backed by the strength and stability of a top 10 commercial bank, their dedicated experts work with you to build lasting success. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial, a member FDIC. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit TeladocHealth.com slash What's Your Why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C Health slash What's Your Why. Now let's turn back to bird nesting. It has nothing to do with birds. It's a co-parenting arrangement where divorced parents cycle in and out of one home. Their kids stay in full time. We also heard from Alex who writes, My parents divorced when I was 12 and I proposed nesting as a living solution, though I definitely didn't have that term for it. The arrangement only lasted a few months, but I appreciated that my parents took me seriously and were willing to give it a try. And you talked about parental conflict being damaging to kids. How much should parents share with their children about divorce and and involve them in conversations about what a living situation could look like for the family? I think it's important that parents share whatever is um, developmentally appropriate for those children. Um, I think it's wonderful that the parents listened to this uh, young man's request. I think it was a man. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, they need to share 
they need to be open because the children will hear from other people what's going on. So you don't want your child hearing the, the rumor mill at school or overhear parents talking on the phone to friends. So they need to have a sense of what is going on. I, I love the term nesting or bird nesting because children can relate to the idea of being safe and secure in a comfortable nest while the parents do the, the swooping in and out. Um, the other thing, the other thing that needs to be communicated between the parents really is at the transition. How are the kids doing as one duty one parent goes off duty and the other parent goes on duty? So they need to bring the other parent up to speed, which and that could be via email if they really don't want to talk to each other. There's a template, a form in my in the Parents Guide to Book Bird Nesting that helps parents communicate in a kind of checklist form, but that makes for a smoother transition. It's kind of seamless. And so kids feel secure because they know their parents are communicating with each other. It makes kids feel like they are being parented by both parents, even if there's one at a time in the home. I'm thinking to that earlier voicemail we heard from someone who said, the bird nesting arrangement in their family left them feeling very isolated. They were they were an only child. They felt very lonely. How often should parents engage with the kids in the arrangement about how the arrangement is working for the kid? I, I mean, I think that's the perfect question because parents should be in communication with their children all the time and know how they're doing. I worked with one woman who said the same thing. She was actually not an only child, but she was the one of the three children that did feel lonely and did feel abandoned, but she didn't tell anybody. And the parents were so caught up in their own um, divorce proceedings and the other children that they didn't notice, they didn't ask. I think it's important for parents to check in. I like the idea of family meetings to check in with kids regularly, maybe once a week or once every two weeks, to sit down in an informal way and just ask, how are things going? What can we do better? Beth, how have you managed that type of communication with your ex and with your kids? Well, I think with the kids, and and I realized we were fortunate we were able to set this up, it was super helpful to me to have a therapist, you know, a neutral party um, to give me feedback about how they were doing, but also so they knew there was a space where they could talk about whatever was bothering them. Because I think it's most children's nature not to badmouth the other parent to to the other one. And so so that was very helpful. But... um, I think from the get-go, we're a pretty communicative family anyway, and so it was pretty known that at me, you know, the family meetings or any time, you know, that they're with one of us, they can tell us whatever they want, and um, and I hope that they, you know, believe that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but we try to to make it just a part of our our daily lives that we can communicate. And I think when it came to my ex and myself. We knew the only way this was going to work was if we were communicating. And so, you know, there was no point giving the silent treatment or, you know, withholding any information because the main goal was for our kids. And we weren't intending to keep nesting for so long, but 
but it kept working out well, and we kept at it. So here we are. I want to make sure we talk about the financial part of nesting. We got this email from Deb who says, yes, this is definitely better for kids, but seems only possible for the wealthy. I remember a friend probably 30 years ago saying her divorced parents did this with her and her sister at their forever home, and her parents each having a small apartment and taking turns staying with the girls. Ideal, but in a country where many can no longer afford even one home, this is impossible for most. And Lynn emails, this seems like a question of privilege. My divorce left me financially destroyed. And while we nested early on, my ex came to the house and I left until he found stable housing. There is absolutely no way we could have financially handled a residence for our son and two additional residences for each of us. As I was reading that first email, Beth, I saw you shaking your head. Uh, Was this a financial stretch for you and your family? You know, I... um always tell people that as much as it's about the kids, for us, it was financially driven as well. We couldn't afford to set up two houses large enough to support three kids, plus all the duplication of furniture and, you know, technology. And and so for us, it was also financially driven that it was cheaper to rent this apartment, one small, one bedroom apartment, you know, that we moved in and out of, took turns and treated it like an Airbnb. And, um, And so it was a financially driven um, aspect to our divorce and continued to be as we revisited if we were going to keep nesting, we would kind of go back to the financial piece that we both felt like we were doing better financially because we just had one household that we were both contributing to financially instead of two separate places that only would have kids in them, you know, half the time. Sherry, how has that financial question come up in the arrangements you've been involved in? So that's a great question. I mean, I've seen nesting play out in different ways. So for example, I, you know, I had a case where most of the cases I've had, the parties haven't been rotating in and out of the separate apartment that was acquired. So one party, for example, rented a studio, that's where she exclusively stayed. And then the other person happened to have parents who, this was in Manhattan, basically had an extra apartment and she would sort of stay with them on her off weeks. Um, I had another situation with a duplex where the nesting was really just upstairs, downstairs, because they couldn't afford to sort of duplicate the exact same scenario. Um, And then I have one now where the, you know, everyone's in the marital residence for dinner every night, but one party rented an apartment in the same building and she stays there and it's a one bedroom apartment and it's, you know, much smaller. So I haven't actually seen where people are getting to entirely separate apartments, and then also maintaining the third home. What would you, we got this question from Rich who asks, how do parents handle the time and space when they're not parenting? Now, Anne, you said it was like going back to college. Beth, what about for you? Yeah, it was, um, it was tough. And it was also wonderful because um, I would miss my kids as I was driving away from the house. And then I would get to my apartment by myself and be like, ah, you know, okay, I'm going to take a little break now. I can focus on my own work better, you know, my mental health or just watch TV and, you know, have a glass of wine. And, um, and then I felt rejuvenated going back into the home. You know, by then I was missing them and excited to go back. And I felt like I was a much better parent because I had this break. Sometimes I think all marriages would probably last longer if we (laughs) did nesting. (laughs) (laughs) Sherry, bird nesting may not work for everyone, but any brief guidance about how families can find a co-parenting model that works for them? 
Yeah, I mean, I think generally speaking, it, it makes sense to work with a therapist and talk about all of these things um, in advance and to really think about the ages of the children and what the right schedule is going to be for them. So the most common schedule, certainly when parties are separated in, in a divorce, is the 5225 schedule if you're doing a 50-50 parenting schedule. But that may not make sense for you know older teens who don't want to go back that, you know, back and forth that much. So maybe a week on week off would work for them. Um, and I think, you know, I wanted to sort of touch base on one of the comments, uh, the questions you asked earlier about how much should you talk to the children and engage them in what works from that, for, you know, for them in terms of the living situation, because I think that is certainly important. And I think sometimes, certainly in my experience, parents assume that what the kids are going to want or what is going to be best for them on a long-term basis is to stay nesting. But I recently had a case with twin six-year-olds and they were very excited about the notion of going to see dad's new apartment and wanting to stay there. So I think listen to them um, and and maybe start that transition even while you're nesting with a little, a bit, a bit of nights here and there and phase into a schedule that becomes, you know, two separate places. Well, we'll leave the conversation there. That's Sherry Sharma. She's a family and matrimonial lawyer at MSSG Law in New York. Also with us, Anne Goldbuchot. She's a licensed clinical psychologist in San Francisco. She's also the author of The Parent's Guide to Bird Nesting, a child-centered solution to co-parenting during separation and divorce. And Beth Barrett was with us from Fort Wayne, Indiana. She's the author of Nesting After Divorce, Co-Parenting in the Family Home. Thanks to you all. Today's producer was Haley Blassingame. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Sarah McCammon is with you tomorrow for the Friday News Roundup. Hope you tune in. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk more soon. This is 1A. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com switch. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, you'll hear it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.